Hey folks, thanks for tuning in. My name is Galen Lowe with the Digital Project Manager. We are a community of digital professionals on a mission to help each other get skilled, get confident, and get connected so that we can amplify the value of project management in a digital world. If you want to hear more about that, head on over to thedigitalprojectmanager.com. Today, we're digging into what it really means to be the project manager that everyone wants to work with and how it's got way more to do with organizational politics than it does just minding the triple constraint. Also, along the way, we're going to be doing a very special segment where we'll take vague compliments that DPMs in our community have been on the receiving end of, and we're going to translate them into the context of the political dynamics within your typical digital agency. Joining me today is Taco Harris, a seasoned agency leader and business strategist who is now putting his chops into practice as VP of operations at Scully Rebel. Taco, thanks for joining me on this, man. Hey, man. It's good to be here. I'm excited to dive into this because we got started on this in just a sidebar conversation, and it was such a juicy thread, and we were, we were going and going on this, and we were like, you know what? This needs to see the light of day. People need to hear this because there are so many things that are just, you know, very vague and unspoken strategies and skills that a project manager can have, especially within an agency context, and it doesn't really get talked about a lot, and then people have to find out about it like the hard way. It's very difficult to explain or train about. So that's what we're going to uh, try and unearth today. Yeah, it's a mixed blessing. It is a mixed blessing indeed. <laughs> we're going to get into like cloak and dagger here, but it'll be lots of fun. Just before we dive in, Taco, could you tell us just a little bit about your journey from project manager to agency operations leader? Like what got you into project management in the first place? And what types of projects have you gotten yourself involved? Oh my goodness. This is in the Wayback Machine now. I was a teacher before and people are like, you're creative. Think about doing something creative in advertising or something. I'm like, advertising? What? Isn't that in Hollywood? We make ads in a bunker somewhere in LA? Like, I, I didn't know. And Minneapolis is a hotbed of advertising. I was there and I had no idea. But I happened to meet a few people that were in it and they were like, yeah, cool. Let me, we should meet some people. We'll do some informational interviews and we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. No, non-committal, you know, but I did that. I did a ton of informational interviews. I went to every agency in Minneapolis. I asked people like, how did you get in? What did you do? And I wore a blue suit. So it took two years of um, interviewing and getting back and forth and, hey, I think we got a thing. Sorry, no. I gave up. You know, honestly, I was like, okay, I guess uh, my road is to be a teacher and I like teaching. I'm going to keep on with teaching until I got a text. I got a text at night and I'm like, oh, wow, are you still interested and can you start the summer? And so the timing of school year ending and the job starting just, you know, it lined up and... um I started as a project coordinator and uh, eventually, you know, worked my way up. So that's how I got into advertising and operations specifically. I think if you keep saying yes and you keep, you know, like your projects go, you know, you will eventually, it maybe sounds like something director, but it's really the thing that no one wants to do. You're in charge of new business. You're in charge of resourcing. That's one that people really, you know, like I need a team. You're like, oh, you need a team, you know? But if you like that sort of thing and you can cope and you can deal and just keep on going, that's my story anyway. I love to say yes to things as a policy for, you know, climbing said corporate ladder <laughs> or agency ladder or wherever you may be. 
that's how opportunity finds you. Well, listen, let's dive in because as I was saying, this all kind of started with a conversation you and I had about what it really means to be a PM that everyone at your agency loves to work with. And equally, you know, everyone at your company loves to work with. It doesn't have to be an agency. But we do have a lot of stories under our belt, we realized, about what that actually means. Oh yeah, everyone loves working with you. And it's one of those pieces of feedback that's coveted, right? For a lot of PMs, this is coveted feedback to receive. But actually, when you like rewind and reread it, like on paper, it's super vague. Like, it doesn't mean anything, right? It's like, oh yeah, people love working with you. You're like, you know, you're like, yes, I did it. And you're like, did what? I thought maybe we could unpack that. And just based on your experience, like what does it even mean to you when a project manager gets told that they're, you know, the popular PM? Well, it's almost like caveats on caveats here, but uh, let's just take it at face value. And at face value, what that means is as the resourcing person, yes. Hey, what I think that means is this person speaks everyone's language. They speak everyone's love language. So if it's the creative team, they know how to bring the good and bad news and they know how people have their quirks and they have their thing that they look to like after a meeting is the brand guide and the brand guides folder is it like, you know, are the fonts ready? And it's, you know, they just have this, it's like a safety blanket so that once they see, oh, okay, I can do my work. I don't have to chase. I don't need to like do more work after the kickoff meeting to get situated and settled and start diving into this creative process that is really, you know, it's subjective, you know? So in light of that, having all of these things in a row can create calmness in a creative person. So that's on the creative side. And then there's the strategy people in, in advertising, you know, and then there's the production people. And like, do you have specs? Do you have, you know, and if you have all of that stuff and people know that you're going to have that stuff and they know that if, if you don't have it for some reason once or whatever, you can get it to them quickly and you'll get it right. And it's not going to be like this. No, but you didn't get, mm -hmm. and, and that's a time suck. You know, it's a, it's a, we don't usually have tons of time. So the more that runway into the project is smooth, you know, like I have my tools and I have my bench and I have the things that I need to like make this cabinet, then it makes a feeling of, ah. Oh. And I think on the plus side of this, I think that's what people mean when they're like, oh, I like working with this person. I love that. I really like that framing because like in my head, I'm thinking like, oh, you know, that PM makes my life easy. But it's actually more than that. It's actually this trust. And I like the love languages thing because I think it is so like core to a good, especially digital project manager, where you have to speak those languages and get everyone set up for success and show that you know what needs to happen and that you're priming that path for folks because, you know, folks can trust that what actually does have to happen. And so you can guide the team and lead them and unblock them along the way. It's not just about making their lives easy. It's about understanding what they need to do to make this a success. Absolutely. And it's pressure. You know, a lot of times there's pressure. Under pressure, people, they're not coming with the namaste to you. You know, they're coming with... And the fact that they're coming to you already means you're behind the eight ball. So if you're greasing the tracks and they don't have to even come to you because everything's... Are, you've prepped it. You've said where everything is in the meeting you covered all your bases and people are off and running and they don't, they don't need to go back to you to ask. That just creates beauty. Yeah, this like proactive kind of thing. Yeah, they don't have to go look and then, because once they find one thing missing, then they're like, oh, well, 
now what? Like, is this missing? And then they're looking at the timeline. Like now everything is in question, you know, like the timeline's in question. Do I have enough? Is this crazy? Are they going to? No. I have um, 100% seen that. I've worked on teams where, you know, you'll get someone who's kind of, you know, been in the thick of it for a while. Maybe they're a developer or a designer. And that first scent of this PM doesn't know, they latch onto that and they're like, okay, well, I need to look at the timeline. I need to make suggestions about dependencies and I need to PM this PM because I'm not confident that they are going to be speaking our language and understand what needs to happen. It's such a fragile, fragile thing to keep your your uh, reputation. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you mentioned something earlier. You said uh, on the plus side, that is the definition. I'm wondering, is there a sort of negative or the minus side to this kind of compliment? Yeah, it's less and less. I think it's um, maybe, you know, fumes from a bygone era of uh, entitlement-y kind of uh, behavior where, you know, you're kind of, if you're the specialist, you're catered to and you can post the stuff in the usual places and tell everyone where it is. And then they're like, where's that timeline? It's just because they, you know, they, they feel like I asked, you deliver, you know? And, and that's extra work for the PM at that point. And, you know, if you do that, then you're doing double work. And if, if like you have a, a team of 12 people and they're all doing that in various degrees, then you're just burning. You're just burning time, every effort, brain power, you know, sending them this invite reminder and this, you know, path to this file. And, you know, you can never get ahead of that. So sometimes people can say, I like working with you because you... You know, even if you at them in a comment in Teams, they didn't get it or they have too many notifications and they can't dig through it and they want it in a Slack or they want it in um email, like whatever, you know, I think you got to figure out how to hold that line. That's the gray zone, right? Where it's, you're right, it's a fine line between being like appropriately proactive and helpful and just being like, kind of like the the person doing the bulk of the work where everyone gets to sit back and be like, don't worry, that PM is going to take care of everything. All I need to do is like type some words into the slide deck or like, you know, design a couple of things. But like, you know, really, it's just the PM will just take on everything I don't want to do. And I think that's where your own intuition and, and, you know, experience comes in and you realize, oh, this person is super underwater. I'm going to get it to them. Whatever. It's high pressure. Cool. Do it. And then other times you're like, yeah, go back to your desk. I already provided this. And you know, you'll know that. You'll know after working with teams uh, who is in which camp. Yeah, 100%. I love that. I want to dig into that a little bit more, but I'm wondering because I feel like you've got, from your work experience, we talked about, you know, the sort of languages, right? Creative. We talked a bit about dev. You mentioned something about like, you know, your role, like in ops, like the resource manager. Do you have any stories about just like, a PM who has just been like that excellent PM from an ops standpoint and like what language that kind of comes out as. So from an ops perspective, you can tell, you know, if it's the PM that everyone wants to work with and that PM is rocking, you know, you can tell, you can tell by their body language, by, you know, how their email responses, are they terse, are they just telltale signs of uh, maybe like looming burnout or I got this or... I'm underwater. I'm not going to make this, you know? So, and then there has to be a comfort with the team where they're willing to say that to you. Yeah, I can't, I'm underwater. I can't take this extra thing. So when people do say, I, I like this PM, they do everything. Usually it's really interesting now that I'm thinking about how much is body language, you know, and how much is the, the unspoken, 
I know this person. I know where they're coming from. I've worked with them a lot. When they say, I like this person, I know what they mean. Even though they're just saying, I like this person, I know what they actually mean is they're on top of everything. They scoped it. They have the right amount of resourcing on their team. They have the timeline is great. The materials are organized. And then sometimes I hear it and I'm like, you like that PM because they just always cleaning up after you in some way. And so from an ops perspective, that really boils down to knowing your team, you know, like really, really knowing your team. And, and that means just being interested in non-work stuff with them, spending time with them, not just talking about work, just as humans. And uh, you, get to, you get to get to know them and you know, like they're not able to say no. <laughs> so, you know, like, so then, and then coaching them on these things on how to uh, establish boundaries that are fair for everyone and uh, important because you value your time also. So, you know, there's just, just growing, you know, just growing in your position as you grow into your boots. I love that call out on coaching as well, because like, you know, we're talking about things like instinct and intuition and there's, you know, there's no course for that really. You know, you can't go and get trained on that. Some of the things you just learn by working with people over time and paying attention. But what I really love is like this notion of I don't know, the symbiosis, I guess, right? Where especially with ops and project management, ops, again, you mentioned coaching, you mentioned like looking out, knowing your, knowing your team, because you need this team to function. It's not just a bunch of, you know, quote unquote resources. We call them resources, but what we mean is people. And on the PM side, it's like kind of this awareness, knowing that they're not just executing projects in a vacuum on their own. Things have to work operationally. They've got a responsibility to make sure they have things buttoned up and that their projects are running on time or at least using the resources that they're supposed to use and helping out the, the ops team. The, I think one of the best relationships, best, I guess the most important relationships I had in an agency situation as a project manager was actually with the resource manager or the traffic manager or whoever's allocating the team. And again, not just buttering them up and bribing them, but like understanding, speaking their language, making sure that you're being considerate of what that individual needs to do to make all the puzzle pieces fit. Not just, oh, I need this person for an extra week, like no matter what, like, wow. <laughs> there's, there's, there's other ways to approach it to understand their language and what they need from it and how it all works together in the operation. Yeah. And the ops thing is in my previous role, it was ops, project management, resourcing management, project management, all mixed together. And it was a little bit like, right now I'm functioning as a resource manager. Now I'm functioning as a project manager. Now I'm like taking all this and then I'm functioning as an ops person. And ultimately the ops person, that's a more hardcore position than I think maybe is usually understood or considered or, or thought about because it's that's tied to money. That's tied to money pretty heavily and goals for the business. And so the coaching part, it starts to get in the, the role of mentor and coaching. It's hard. It's harder to do when you have that ops responsibility as well, because now you're, you're not just, Hey man, like you can improve your skills to make this flow better and you'll help the team, but no, it's money. now. Like, and in that role, it becomes a little more hardcore in that if you see those things, then days can be numbered. No, honestly, it, it really forces that urgency. And I would say even some like project managers, especially in an agency context, when you're talking about not huge profit margins, like the really good project managers that I know understand the urgency of what they're doing, not just I'm executing a project in a vacuum 
And as long as I land the plane, it should be fine. Or I could go a bit over on this. And as long as I'm doing a good job, like it should be fine. Not thinking about the broader ecosystem of, okay, well, if everybody's doing that. Yeah. It should be fine. Is not, that's not a thing. <laughs> yeah. That might be a thing for three months and then it, it will no longer be a thing. No, the stakes are high, right? And I think it's very important to understand that. And then just to swing it all the way back around, I think that's what that popular PM or the being the PM that people like to work with is that knowing sort of the language to speak, but also understanding what the stakes are like in general. And also why I do see some folks make uh, the same journey, a similar journey to yours, right? Through project management up into operations. And I think you hit the nail on the head earlier. You just said, you know, you have to wear multiple hats and understand what it means to wear those hats and get exposed, expose yourself to different parts of the business so that when you are, yeah, in operations, you have that sort of like high level view of what needs to happen. You understand the stakes, what needs to happen when, and what to say to people from that mentoring and coaching standpoint, but with urgency. Yeah. When you start seeing the the numbers, but that's Let's, we can just bring it back to the popular PM because those guys, if you could have a team of them, man, but you know, like life, like a classroom as a teacher, you have, this person has these strengths, this person has these strengths. You want to, you want your whole team to rise up. So can't just we chop heads. Like that's, that doesn't work either. Cause then no one wants to work at your company and they realize, oh my God, this is a, a sweatshop or something. So yeah, it's a lot of knowing people and being proactive with guidance and, and communications. I wonder if we could dig into that just a bit more, right? Because I think if I'm picking up what you're putting down, it's like it's you can't just hope that you hire a team that all operate the same way like robots. Everyone's going to have this sort of nuances and individualities, and that's something that you can get coach and work with. But coming back to that thing we were talking about, right? This instinct, this intuition. One of the things that we've been talking about, at least to me, has been this ability to observe people and their motivations, but I guess equally, right? The dynamics between people and also just, I I mentioned it at the top, but just like the politics too, right? And I think part of that whole being the PM that everyone likes to work with is like finding this balance between sometimes conflicting forces, whether that's client and agency or whether that's between different teams, creative and tech or like leadership and and their sort of approach. But like we were talking about, there's no like course you can take given that maybe, yeah, you've got a team of project managers and they're all a little bit different. How would you advise your project managers to develop this like skill of reading and understanding the dynamics between people and like their motivations? Michael in the newsletter said project magicians. The more that we're talking about this, so many skills that they have to succeed. Just one of the things that I'm always thinking about is the interface between traditional roles and digital roles. There's so much wire going on in there. So if you're going to advise the team on how to best navigate the politics because it's rife with politics because everyone feels their role is valued and valuable, rightfully, but then there's dependencies in a project. So dependencies can imply that a role is more important because you can't start yours until I do mine, you know. But that's not necessarily true because the client is the one who will ultimately, they need a good, excellent deliverable. So internal squabbling or chest pounding or whatever, like it doesn't help anyone. So the PM has to, a lot of times I see in younger, when you're starting, even myself, you get comfortable in, I really like working with the creative team. 
And so you're just heads down, building timelines, creative team in your mind, scoping timeline, creative team. But did you consider thoroughly strategy? Did you consider thoroughly production at the end? Did you consider thoroughly the interface with digital and that it's not a, okay, now your turn, baton, like they need to be brought along the way. So there's just fully understanding the entire picture of the project and then how every single person in the project fits and how do they fit? If you could look at the, what is it like a serial killer who did it? Every single person in the agency has this yarn board of they interface with that person and that person. And this one's a really good one. They get along great. And this one is, like, yeah, but they do good work. And then this one's like, oh, they do not like each other. So if you know that in your mind of everyone and, and how they interact and communicate with each other and get along, don't get along, but like you can facilitate how those interactions can go a little bit better by preempting things in meetings. Like I have this ready for you because they're going to call it out. That's probably going to be wrong or missing or like, what's your QL plan or whatever. Do we have time for bug fixes after the second Q? I don't know. Someone who is really deep in there and knows the only way to do that is you have to talk to the people, get to know the people, know what they actually do, know the words they use. There's some esoteric Jira terms. They're escaping them, but something like about a, something bored. I, anyway, I'm, I can't give you a great example right now, but knowing all that, that will get you a long way there. I totally hear that. Actually, that's such a good visual, even though I know it's kind of like that conspiracy theorist, like serial killer visual of like the pin board with all the yarn, tinfoil hat kind of territory. But honestly, that is the right, in my mind, like I agree with that. I agree that you have to be able to do the, the mental math on the people you're working with and what their motivations are and what they're feeling and the language they speak and what's going to get their backup and how you can get ahead of that. I think, again, it comes back to that sort of proactiveness of just wanting to use your knowledge and your critical thinking to stay ahead of it. Not that you can control every outcome, but you can at least have considered it so you don't like step in the big trap, right? In that client meeting. And you have to also stay engaged in meetings when it's not your turn or you're not, you're not contributing officially, but you're noticing, oh, he's presenting at this point. He presents in this manner. Maybe there's a, a stutter not like a physical stutter, but a like misstep. And then think back, why did that happen? Was there a line lost or just try to stay on top of anything that's out of the ordinary and then piece together in your mind later, how did that go? What could I have facilitated there? Or maybe I can follow up and ask, hey, did your slide not admit? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just inventing stuff right now, but just not like really engaged on everyone's time. And then that I think will come naturally to you. There's this like analysis component to it. Like we're doing a retro on everything to learn the lessons in real time and then apply them. It's not we're talking about. Like it's so critical to being an effective project manager. And yet it's a really difficult thing to either teach or like actively practice or train for, but it's at the center of it. I wonder if we flip the coin around though, especially in your sort of current role, we're talking about maybe building a team. Like, how do you hire for this particular set of skills? Is it even something that hiring managers should be thinking about? Or is it something that you just find out along the way once they're up and running? I feel like I can feel it. When I'm talking to someone and I, I can tell that they're engaged and they're giving eye contact and they're noticing the things that I said, there's just ways of perceiving that that person is really actually paying attention 
I really am feeling like, how do they present? Do they present like they're engaged and they know what's going on? Yeah, I hear you. It's actually interesting because as an interview strategy, like as the person conducting the interview in the situation, like you're almost looking for them to practice that skill with you to be like, I'm gathering things about you. You mentioned this thing earlier. I can take that in real time and I can spin that back into my response because I'm paying attention to you as a human, not like going through my little Rolodex of interview answers that I practiced, that I rehearsed before this interview, where you can actually be like, okay, well, is this person actually paying attention to me, picking up what I'm saying? If I had a hesitation or stuttered, are they noticing? Are they like picking up on whatever certain cues? I I wouldn't say this is like a by the book interview guide, but I do like it as this, well, actually show me that you have at least this sensibility to engage with me and speak my language in this interview. LinkedIn is littered with confidence and trust just in advice about it all the time and when you see it so much you, it just becomes background noise and oh yeah this is marketing this is business speak this is whatever but oh my gosh it's so true if you walk into a room and the you just have no presence then you'll either become that project manager maybe who just has to continuously follow up and follow up on additional requests because their people are just like, they will do it. Like they don't have a spine or like they don't, I don't know. They, you know. Like you'll get tested that way. It's, I don't know. I think it's just a fact of life or maybe. No, I agree. It's human interaction more than it is projects and delivering projects or being in an agency. It's people and trust. I wonder if we could swing around and just like, I want to play the devil's advocate a bit, right? Because we're talking about this, like being the PM that everyone loves working with we talking about how there's a fine line between being helpful and proactive, but still holding people accountable and just like getting drawn into just doing everything that no one else wants to do. And then I was thinking about that at an ops level, right? In a world where you're, you are that PM or you have that PM that everyone loves working with and they're this unicorn role, does that mean that person is an, a maverick outlier that isn't helping the business scale? Because you go, oh, well, people love working with this individual for very specific reasons that are different than all the other PMs on the team. And they're doing something that's different. But is it ever something that's actually that difference is bad because they're being maybe too helpful or they're setting the wrong expectation for the rest of the team. And now they want to work with that person because they don't like working with the other PMs as much, even though those other PMs are like, are by the book following the standard operating procedure. Are in some ways, is being the PM that everyone loves working with Actually, does that mean you're the person who's actually preventing the business from growing and succeeding? That's an interesting angle. And yeah, it depends on the culture of where you're operating because sometimes people can say that very conspicuously. Oh, you're on the project? I love working with you. And so an earshot of maybe other PMs as a shot across the bow and this off-hand sideways let it be known that I don't like working with other, I don't know. That's just one of those. Am I crazy? Is that, or are they just super exuberant? Or then if as a PM, you're like in your head, like, why don't they like working with me? Oh my God. So then that can create tension and distrust and strife and poor morale. And then you're like, well, are the other PMs not up to snuff? And so then that can create a, a scenario where maybe you're having to do reviews and then that, could further either erode morale or you realize, oh, that's just a 
that's a thing, that's a specific instance, and I need to work with that particular person. So I think from the morale standpoint and creating tension, which leads to poor performance, which leads to project failure, can I think from a disease or like you've created this like infection at that point that needs to be addressed or it can grow and grow. And then maybe other people are like, oh my God, I really love working with so. And then you have this team that maybe people are perceiving that they are doing a less stellar job. And again, they just like how you have to manage communications or anticipate communications or have a strategic way that you're communicating. That becomes then the ops role of how do you communicate who is on projects to which team at what time, where, why, all, all that stuff. And there's ways of doing that which can contain and not disseminate craziness or it can like, it's the same thing. You have to know who you're talking to, when you're talking to them, what they, you might anticipate, how they might react. I don't think because the PM is performing stellar and they're doing like really great work that that is somehow undermining the business. But I do think maybe creating false perceptions of other people lacking, that's definitely has to be addressed immediately. Like that can't live. I love the ops perspective on that. In other words, if you're a PM and people like working with you, don't stop doing what you're doing unless somebody has come to you and been like, listen, like we need to find this balance, right? And communicating that from an ops perspective of, okay, well, like careful messaging and making sure it doesn't become this infection that spreads and takes down morale and causes attrition that can be made a good thing and not let it be a bad thing. Exactly. If it's a person that is truly just rocking and they have the people that rock in my book, they're not beating their chest saying what a great PM they are and they're not really lording it over the rest of the team. They are definitely chiming in on solutions with the team. They're like supporting, they're providing insights, they're problem solving with the team. They're, they get that from legitimate insights, knowledge, experience. And, and that's a great for a team to have access to and can lift the team. It's just, if for some reason it turns, it curdles, if for some reason that perception curdles and sours, then that root right there of why that curdled has to be addressed. 100%. I was wondering if maybe we could shift gears a bit. It's related, right? Because I think we started at the beginning talking about this sort of compliment, this coveted compliment of being the PM that everyone loves working with. And also we touched on what it feels like when you're not that PM, when somebody else is the favorite PM and what that feels like. But overall, this is we talked about that this is very vague, positive feedback. And so you and I, we were talking about vague PM compliments and how to interpret them, which I think we can come and do a bit of a bonanza here. So we went to our community, to our members, and we asked them, hey, what's an example of some vague but positive feedback that you've received in your career as a project manager? And we got some really good ones. And I think maybe we could just do almost linorama in terms of, okay, I'll, I'll read the feedback and let's like you and I just jam on what we think that actually means. So that people can actually do something with it, right? Or get on my Sherlock Holmes pipe. Yeah, why yes, <laughs> dear Watson. But yeah, I think the main thing is mostly people get these compliments, but they don't know what to do with them because A, they're not sure if they're compliments and B, they're just super vague. I've taken some of the juiciest ones and let's just go through them one by one. Okay, first up, you're a rock star. Positive, very, it's a good thing, but doesn't really add any detail. What would you say about that one? 
You know, and I would say that's a very high praise one, depending on who it's coming from. But, you know, being called a rock star is that's, I don't know, you may have arrived at that point. At least in our agency, if people are calling you a rock star, you're getting raises, your your title might change, more senior role projects. I think it's positive. Yeah, I think that's, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's like you're playing at a different level of the game. And exactly what you said, you should be thinking about not like gigging at small bars anymore. You should be thinking about playing stadiums. Cool, cool. All right. Next one was, I would do it, but I don't have time. So I'm glad you're here. Oh man, that's that ego one where none of that is directed at the PM. That is all, look at my merit badges. So I would say water, ducks back, depends. If you want to fight it, if it's a pattern of, it feels a little dismissive. If there's other dismissive things, I would definitely, if it doesn't bother you, let it go. If it's an instant, let it go. If it's a pattern that's making you uncomfortable and this person is overall just a little bit or a lot, apparently dismissive of your contributions, I would escalate that. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I think it's, this is where project managers start to think that their value is just picking up all the other stuff that no one wants to do. And that's not the value of a project manager. All right, we have, we have this other one. One of our members said that they got the feedback after every presentation saying, I love that you are doing your job. Oh, man, it, it's so prevalent. Okay, that is a historical reference. That is a, I was suffering so much under a previous project manager who never did their job. They didn't follow up. They didn't provide meeting notes. They never did, and they never scheduled, whatever. Again, if it's isolated, they said every meeting. Okay, so since they said every meeting, I would confront that and say that's not really helping me. I guess I would pursue inquiring what they mean by that. Absolutely agree that it seems like a representation of a low bar, but like also speaks to how many bad project managers people work with where that's a compliment. Like, and like they genuinely are like, this is great. You're doing your job. That's not, you don't want to keep hearing that. That's not a thing. That's not the level that anyone, I think, would prefer to work in. So I would see what can be done about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's nothing you can do with it at face value. This next one, maybe? Maybe it's the better version of it? I'm not sure. The next one is, you're the positive thorn in my side. Yeah, if you have a good rapport with that person, it could be funny. Like, that could just be a funny, yeah, I'm going to get you. Like, I will get you. So I'm coming. Give me your stuff on time and you, I won't be. So it's a, it's an opening. Like that can just be an opening to banter. It can be an opening to like funny. I don't think it has to be bad. I, I think it depends who, who it is. If you have a good rapport with them, you can just shoot it right back at them. Even if you don't, maybe you can shoot it back at them. Give me your things and I will be a thorn in your side. Let's go. And it is part of it, right? I think it's so if you're on top of things and you know the stakes of something being late. Yeah, sometimes you do have to be that thorn, the positive thorn in somebody's side. But really, yes, yeah, you help me remember why this should be a priority. That's the way I take it. Not as hate it when you come to my desk because you're so annoying, but I'm so glad you actually did prick me on the side there so that things stayed on. Like a nudge is good. We got this controversial one. This got a lot of action in our Slack group. Someone got this quote-unquote compliment. You're like a secretary on steroids. No, just no. Nothing good there. I don't know. It's dismissive. It's a dismissive comment on steroids, really. Like, that's one I would pay attention to. Also, if that was something that was said to me, I would uh, monitor my relationship with that person and see 
if I need to have coffee with that person, if I need to try and build some better rapport. Not not that it's my fault, but I would just, that's a flag for me. And I might just see what my way of doing it would be to, I would then focus on that person and try and improve relationships so that they understand. And again, that's not saying that you're not, you know, that there's need of improvement. It's just something is like not right there. They need some bringing along of what's all involved in the bigger picture. No, and I think it's fair. It's like it kind of matters who this feedback comes from and their sort of involvement in the project. Well, I have two last ones. One is actually from me. And I think we did come back it earlier, but you said it at the beginning as well. And it, I, I've had it said to me, the feedback is, you're a great communicator. And I think we know what that means, but when you start to unpack it, you're like, what does that even, what does it really mean? Oh man, that is a great compliment though, because if you are a great communicator, and I, I think I was trying to get at this with the love language comment earlier, there's just ways of talking to different team members that gets them laughing, gets them motivated, gets them feeling psyched. That doesn't work with other people. And you, you wouldn't ever do that with someone else. But for them, it's great. And for them, this other approach is great. And so if you can magically be bringing joy into life, not saying that you ha that's the job, but I'm saying by communicating to this person or this group in a way that they appreciate and can take in because you understand who they are and what they do and their quirks. And that's, yeah. I 100% agree. And I like that it's, it's not just like what you're saying, it's how. Because a lot of people would take that and be like, oh, I, I must collate the right information and deliver it efficiently. Homie, where is my stuff? I might not say that to everyone, but I might say that to my good homie over here that I've had on eight projects together and we've been through things. That's just one of the, you would have to know that by having worked with your team. Yeah, exactly. It's I know your team thing. All right, last one, joke one. Someone in posted, they're like, best piece of positive feedback that's vague? Thanks. And I'm like, I've been there. I've gotten that like client or that person on your team is grumpy and they never say anything positive. And the, the one thing you get out of them is thanks. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> but what's really me? Yeah. I've never felt good getting a, just a THX. Like a thanks spelled out with an exclamation point. Yeah. I like that one. A THX is minimal communication. Maybe they're feeling put upon and now they can finally go do the thing that they needed to do because finally they've written you know there's a lot of that vibe is that so weird that like all of that is attached to these three letters team checks like you're kind of oh, did i need to get that to you sooner like yeah it could be interpreted in so many different ways the one that we did have i worked at an agency and we got an email from a client that was just that thx thanks and we printed it out and put it on the wall because for us it meant that we got to this point with a very tough client where they were starting to bring down the walls. You know what I mean? They were starting to let us in. It was like just the very beginning. Like they thought their job was to like just smash us down, whatever. So we're, we're trying to take advantage of them or an agency. The walls were up. And that was like a, hey, the walls came down. Instead of not anything positive, it was something positive, which meant we were getting through to them and we're starting to understand what they're about. <laughs> yeah, so we printed it. We put it on the wall. Yeah, take your wins, man. Like you got to take your word. I thought maybe we could round out with just one last question. As someone who's been in leadership roles in a few different agencies, what is the one piece of advice that you'd give to project managers who want to follow your path up the ladder and maybe into operations? 
that's a hard one. I think you really have to stretch. When I said yes, I didn't know. A lot of projects I got, I didn't know if I could do those projects, to be honest. But I saw that's a big project. There's a lot of eyes on it. That's scary. In and of itself, my shortcomings would be on full display. Things I didn't know and didn't even know to ask. That And it did. That, that stuff came out. There was embarrassing moments. There's shame after meetings. There's, I suck at this. But then you get your wins. You come through, you get your wins. You anticipate those things. Those are burned into your soul. You're like, not going to do that again ever. And so you start stretching and growing and people see that you're doing that because when you say yes, others may have said no, or enthusiastic or squeamishly said sure or whatever. If you're enthusiastic and you're like helping and you're driving and asking questions and and saying things like, I'm excited to do this. I might need some help here or there. All of that stuff is noticed. Like that stuff, just engagement in general is noticed. Like when you're focusing and you're raising your hand and you're networking with teams and problem solving, that stuff is noticed. And it's not, you think that's just normal. You think, I don't know this. I'm going to ask and I'm going to move and I'm going to go here. And others can sometimes just sit and just stew in fear or something. So say yes, stretch, be scared, do it anyway, make your mistakes, take lumps, admit to your lumps, make less lumps later, LLL. <laughs> and then just keep saying yes and you will get there. Taco, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. This has been way too much fun. <laughs> so much fun. Thanks for inviting me. All right, folks, there you have it. As always, if you'd like to join the conversation with over a thousand like-minded project management champions, come and join our collective. Head on over to thedigitalprojectmanager.com slash membership to learn more. And if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and stay in touch on thedigitalprojectmanager.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.